0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure you're feeling a bit like me this morning, uh, in a bit of a post-Christmas coma. The presents have all been unwrapped from underneath the tree. My stomach is full of Christmas ham and full of too many Christmas cookies and sweets. And my eyes are already beginning to turn and look towards the new year coming in just a week. But I don't think we should be in a Christmas coma, at least not yet. You see, this is only the second day of Christmas. We still have to receive our two turtle doves from our true love and another partridge in a pear tree to pair with the one that we got yesterday. And we've still got more Christmas to go. As we actually look at our church calendar, we actually have two Sundays in Christmas, this Sunday and the next one. So we can't race by Christmas. Christmas isn't over yet. And I think when we look at Psalm 111, which Pastor Arp just read a few short moments ago, I don't think that this psalm lets us race past Christmas either. This psalm, through its poetic structure and its imagery, actually leads us toward more Christmas celebration and a greater understanding of what Jesus' birth means for all of us. So let's start by looking at the psalm. I don't want to get too technical or too in the weeds, uh, but I was forced, I mean, I had the great opportunity of learning Hebrew in college and at the seminary, uh, including a class on Hebrew poetry, so I want to just put a little bit of it to good use and direct your attention to two features that the writer of this psalm masterfully accomplishes in this psalm. So first is that Psalm 111 is an acrostic poem. You may have written an acrostic poem before. I know I did in either kindergarten or early elementary school. I'd write my name in vertical. I'd put J-O-E-L. Then horizontally, I'd write out different words that described me. Well, this whole psalm does that, but with the entire Hebrew alphabet. Each line is a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is a relatively common Uh, feature of some psalms, but most of them mess it up somewhere. Most of the psalms, for some of the harder letters of the alphabet, maybe they'll use the second letter of the word, or maybe they'll just skip a letter altogether. But this acrostic is pristine. This one has every single letter exactly how you'd expect. In addition to being an acrostic poem, this psalm is also a hallelujah psalm. The first Uh, phrase of this psalm that is translated praise the Lord is that Hebrew phrase hallelujah. There are several uh, hallelujah psalms in the Bible, and they sort of form their own genre of psalm. They're all centered around praise of the Lord and invite people to praise the Lord with them. They all start with this call to praise hallelujah, then they give reasons for this praise, and then they typically end with a wisdom saying that's kind of the reaction that a person is supposed to have in the front in the face of this praiseworthy God. And that's what we have here today. Psalm 111 follows this format to a T. And so as we listen to Psalm 111, we actually get two main reasons for praising God. We see the greatness of his works and we also see the goodness. The greatness and his goodness. I'm going to pause right now as I'm crackling a lot. I'm going to fix this back here. All right, we're better. Okay. So, the greatness of God and the goodness of God. That's what we see from this psalm. So, first, let's look at the greatness. The psalmist says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Great are the works of the Lord. I may be biased a little bit, but my wife and my hometown in Munising, Michigan is one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. It's in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is a forest country, uh, lots of, of hills and just empty forests. And it's brutally cold and snowy in the winter, but it is amazing in the summer. It's right on the shores of Lake Superior. There are about a dozen small waterfalls that you can hike to. They're peaceful beaches with with crystal clear water. And Munising is also home to miles of sandstone cliffs that overlook Lake Superior and it's called the Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. I moved to this town uh, in high school from a small run-of-the-mill rural town in lower Michigan that our scenery was about farm town, farm fields, and that's about it. And so I was absolutely amazed by the wonderful works of God's hand in nature. Witnessing natural beauty is a great way for us to see firsthand the greatness of our God. To see the greatness of our God who created all of this. If you've ever stood in awe before some of the great wonders of our world, uh, the, the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, or if you've sat and just listened to the powerful ocean Or looked up at a sky full of stars at night, then you maybe know what I mean. You know what the writer of this psalm is getting at that great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That verse from Psalm 111 is actually posted above the entrance to the laboratory at Cambridge. As scientists, researchers, and students enter into this very prestigious laboratory to study creation in fascinating new ways, they enter seeing these words, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. They are studying God's works and creation. But this psalm is actually even more intense than that academic studying. The word for studied is the typical Hebrew word for search out. Seek, look for. So the works of the Lord are actually sought after by those who delight in them. We just can't get enough of the works of the Lord. And the works of the Lord are what bring us to study in these classrooms and laboratories. They also inspire us to fill novels with stories and poetry and to create artwork that echoes the beauties that we see in creation. The works of the Lord are indeed great but psalm 111 doesn't stop there doesn't stop with them simply being great for the psalmist simply seeing god's works as great is incomplete the psalmist is in awe of god's works but so much more than that he's in awe of this god who does his great works towards man god is more than a creator or an artist He's a rescuer. We've seen God's greatness, but we also need to see God's goodness in the words of this psalm. God's works are truly great. Every culture throughout time has seen that simply by looking at creation. But a great God could still be bad news for us. If we don't know that this great God is good in addition to being strong and powerful, then we could see God's power in creation, and we could We won't be in awe of it, but instead it would bring us to fear that this God who is powerful enough to make even these things might also be angry with us. But as this psalm tells, we have seen God's works not just in his great power and might, but also in love and mercy. The psalm says this, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful he provides food for those who fear them, and he remembers his covenant forever. That repetition of the word remember is important. God has worked to be remembered by his people, and at the same time, God is remembering his people and remembering the covenants and the promises that he has made to them. The psalmist here invites his hearers to remember what God has done for them, what God has done for their parents and even their grandparents. That God has miraculously given food to them. In the wilderness, the Israelites wandered, but God provided manna. And God also freed the Israelites from slavery. He brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And this event was remembered every year by the people of Israel by celebrating the Passover. When they remembered God's works that were good, that brought salvation to them. And that God followed through on his promises. And this fact, the goodness of God in addition to his greatness, is why we can't speed by Christmas just yet. Because at Christmas we celebrate and we remember that we too have seen God's great and God's good works here in creation. And we have seen them in a way the psalmist only hoped for, that we actually know Jesus who has come to earth As the ultimate great and good work of God. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity through whom all things have been made. That is all great things. But in his birth, we see God's goodness in an amazing way. That God would not stay far away from us, but actually comes near and is present with humanity. There is something just so significant. ...about this fact that Jesus would come and be fully present with us. I thought about this a few weeks ago when I was at a meeting here at St. Luke's. This year on Vicarage has been really my first time in a work setting. This is my first time spending time in meetings and schedules and all of that fun stuff. And, and, and most of our meetings aren't really all that exciting. They're very run-of-the-mill, get-things-done sort of meetings... But this particular one was great. (laughs) We talked about what it means to be the church, what we're doing here at St. Luke's. We brainstormed what type of a person a Christian is supposed to be. What does a Christian look like? We thought of all sorts of descriptors. We thought a Christian is supposed to be servant-minded, should have a loving heart that reaches out to all people. They should be humble in all circumstances and generous in all times. It was a really great and fruitful discussion. But then we changed the question. Instead of thinking about traits, we started thinking about people we know who embody these traits. And the feeling in the entire room changed. Instead of being a theoretical discussion about what traits a Christian should have, instead we shared stories through joyful tears about people that we knew for short seasons in our lives who shared God's love with us. We talked about those people closest to us, wives, husbands, fathers, mothers, friends. We talked about these people who we've known for decades, but who still daily live lives of love and service to those around them. See, knowing ideas is one thing, but knowing a person is something completely different. In Jesus, we have a person. At Christmas, we celebrate that God would do his greatest good work in sending his son. He wasn't giving us new ideas, a new philosophy that would help us get through life. He wasn't teaching us new laws that we have to follow. But God gave us a person who lived a life of love and sacrifice, who died a humiliating death so that all of us might have life. Psalm 111 ends with this wisdom saying that is a common theme in the entire book of Proverbs as well as other wisdom books in the Bible. Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Fear of the Lord. You know, this word fear is actually the same root word in the previous verse when the psalmist describes the awesome deeds of the Lord. Fear and awe go hand in hand. If we want to study God's works in laboratories and in classrooms, if we want to make art that's beautiful, and if we want to live a life that is centered on something immovable and life-giving, well, we need to start in being in awe of this great and good God. Start by seeing God not as a far away God, but one who came so near to us humans That we humans could lay him in a manger. We could hug him, hold on to him, learn from him. And we could even kill him only for him to rise again. That is what our great and good God has done for us. And so we can't race past Christmas. Instead, let's continue to celebrate this great gift of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.